0: Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
1: There is a judgment. choice to make in life turn away from all your sin and believe on the risen Christ you can find peace in him from the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm. He's the only shelter from the coming storm.
2: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Matthew, the 24th chapter, beginning in verse 36. Now about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of the heavens, except the Father only. But just as the day of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. For as they were in the days before the flood, eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered into the ark, they knew not until the flood came and swept away every person, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Everything continues in your life. You have a life ritual. You have a time when you get up and when you go to bed. You have a time when you eat, walk, exercise. You have your life. And even though banking crisis happen, we continue our life rituals. Even though we are on the very verge of a nuclear war with annihilation, with total destruction. We continue our our rituals, our lifestyle. It doesn't change until we are swept away. Increasingly in the church, the belief has taken hold that there is no such thing as sin. And if sin is no longer sin, we no longer need a Savior. The Methodist Church has decided that homosexuality is not a sin. It doesn't matter what the Bible says Many have made the decision that fornication is not sin, that adultery is not sin. How can anything so good be so wrong? And so we have in the American church come to conclusions that warrant a very careful look. One brother wrote this morning, we have to just live in the unconditional, wonderful, unconditional love of God and and know that we have a place. On what basis? And is God's love unconditional? Of course not. That's a fantasy of our psychologized American life. Sin has consequences. Sin separated Adam and Eve from God and put upon them the curse of death. Romans, the sixth chapter, the last verse says, the wages of sin is death. And so I can change the definitions of what I believe sin is. But did God change the definition? Infidelity, pornography, masturbation, are these things sin? Lying, cheating, stealing, anger, judgmentalism, bitterness of heart, are these things sin? Pride, arrogance, lust for money, are these things sin? The Bible says they're sin, but the American church has become quite accustomed to just normal American living according to normal American values, drinking in all of the things of our culture, and we have come to the conclusion in the church that we're all saved. Well, what are we saved from? We have our normal life here, which includes the television and the movies and the football games and the basketball games and all the other games. Yet we're on our way to heaven? It's made me cry out to God and say, Lord, what is the truth? And I have to tell you, almost everything I was taught from my home to my college, to my seminary, to the various churches that I have listened to, pastors, can I tell you that Jesus Christ was not an Arminian? he wasn't jesus was not a reformed preacher he was not he was not teaching what john calvin teaches or what arminius taught these were just men who were trying to understand the gospel but they've been taken as the gospel and they did not know the gospel. It's very troubling to me. I've read many of the scholars. They didn't understand the gospel. They took their little twist on it and they became special because they had their twist. But I want to say to you, What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And how do we get at it? I only know of one way to get at it. To read the scriptures. And not put our interpretation on those scriptures, but listen and cry out to God and say, Holy Spirit, teach me the gospel So we're going to look this week In the next week, we're going to look at the book of Galatians, verse by verse. I don't have a predisposed opinion. I have laid those all down. As, as far as I'm able to do that. I want to look with fresh eyes and say what is the gospel and have we a perverted gospel have we been have we been fooled by a false gospel now part of what i've done with my life is give my life into the hands of Jesus and say, please interpret for me what you want me to know and shape me the way you want to shape me. I just recently opened a Facebook page. I have to tell you I'm overwhelmed by it. I'm not going to spend much time in it. I opened it at the call of the Spirit as a place of witness and testimony in the marketplace in America. I'm going to go to some other platforms as well to lift up the name of Jesus and to ask what for me are the hard questions. But I'm stunned as I look at the Facebook page at many of the friends that I've known through the years. They seem to believe the same thing they've always believed and they seem to do the same things they've always done. I'm astounded by that. Jesus, quite a number of years ago, put me in a, in a prison. He put his hands around me and my ministry because it's his ministry. And he said to me, the day would come when he would accomplish more in one day than I could accomplish in my whole life. I stand by faith on that. He's told me I am to wait upon him. And so I've not been out in the public arena. I've stayed almost a recluse. Studying the scriptures, praying, crying out to God. So, I'm going to share with you some of the very disturbing things I've found in the scriptures, particularly in the book of of Galatians. Let's begin. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm still not clear on what your gospel is. And I've been studying that gospel all of my life. But Lord, it's been hidden from my eyes. But piece by piece, you've been showing me what the gospel is. But, Lord, I'm asking for the fullness of the gospel of Jesus in my life and in my brothers and sisters. I'm asking, Lord, if please, through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, we could have the birthing of Christ in us. and we could live in the fullness of the gospel that Jesus brought for us lord come please and hear our pitiful cries and see our wicked ways and bring forth in america a new people a remnant of righteousness who will walk in the true gospel and in the power of the true gospel. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Paul opens the book of Galatians by identifying who he is. Clearly he says he was not sent from man or by a man, but by Jesus Christ and by God the Father. So Paul is going to come and begin to speak to us with authority, the authority of Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he's going to speak to us things that will make us extremely uncomfortable. And some of you may turn aside from it and say, that's not true. Well, let it be true as it is spoken in the scriptures without any interpretation of it but let it just be true as it is written a simple understanding of reading the word having it quickened in our hearts by the Holy Spirit having it change us now to understand what I'm going to be saying to you you're going to have to lay aside many of the ritual things that you do every day and focus your heart on Jesus. Seeking his face and seeking to enter fully into the kingdom of God by the true gospel of Jesus Christ grace and peace to you from God our Father, verse 3 and from the Lord Jesus Christ now some of you automatically will read that and you will clinch and you will say yes it's all by grace yes but what do you mean by that do you mean by grace that you are covered over and Jesus does not see your sin, doesn't say that according to Titus Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to wickedness. And peace that's just exactly what it means. It's harmony. It's an absence of bitterness and anger. It is prosperity in Jesus Christ, not in money. This gospel that he's going to present to us is from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sin. So why did Jesus come? There are a number of passages that we're going to need to turn to to understand fully why Jesus came, what he was doing when he came to be among us. And if you look in 1st John it's very clear that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to set us free. I'll read for you 1st John the 3rd chapter verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. And I want to say the whole American church has been led astray. I said it. It's true. He who does what is right is righteous or innocent, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. So if you're walking in the sin of this day, the gospel of 1 John, the story saying if you are walking in sin, if you're masturbating, if you're pornography, if you're bitter, if you're angry, if you're selfish, if you're doing things that are sinful, John is saying you are of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will commit will continue to sin Because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. If you are continuing to sin, you have not been born of God. You are not saved from sin. You are still wicked in it. And there is absolutely no way you can enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ unless that be addressed. Jesus gave himself for our sin to rescue us from the present evil age. And evil here includes toil and pain, hard labor. He begins in verse 6 I am astonished that you have so quickly deserted the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. In other words, Paul is saying, look, I am astonished that you have walked back into your sin I'm astonished that you've walked back into the law when the law cannot make anyone righteous. Now, of course, please understand there are several positions. One, you're under the law, you cannot be saved, you're condemned. There is the belief that you are under the law, that you're always going to be a sinner. But Jesus, with unconditional love, has covered over you. And so you're not lost, but you're still a sinner. There is a third position, and it's one which we will come to in this book and explain in detail. And that is that you come to Jesus Christ as a total sinner, condemned to die. And by his gracious blood, he opened heaven's door so that you could utterly leave your sin and be saved, be set free, be made righteous, not by some trickery, not by some shell game, but in reality made righteous. In reality have left your sin. Not just Intellectually, but in the fullness of your of your reality, even as it's reflected in your life rituals, the way you spend money, where you go, when you go, how you go. Hmm? Obviously, to me, the third position of being made truly righteous would be the most wonderful experience any man or woman could have. To tell me I'm saved, but Satan still comes and ravishes me, but Jesus doesn't see that I'm being ravished by sin. Instead, he covers me over and says, Oh, I've got you on the final day. I'm going to count you as my child, even though you're living under the devil's control and power. Such a lie. He's saying, you are turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. We have to stop and ask, what do you understand as the gospel? Do you understand the gospel as meaning you're under the law? And somehow Jesus is going to look at you and say, you know what, I know you really tried your best. And so come on into heaven. Or are you going to understand it as, I'm still a sinner, I'll always be a sinner, man's nature is sinful, I can't help myself, but when Jesus looks at me, he doesn't see me, he sees himself. In other words, God lies. Or is the gospel a new way that has been opened to you that allows you to have all sin broken from your life and that you live in perfect harmony with God. He says evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. I want to say in the modern church, They are no longer trying to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. They left the gospel of Jesus Christ many years ago and they walk in a false gospel. They don't know. They don't know what the gospel is. Are you going to be declared righteous? Or are you going to be made righteous? That's going to be the key question. I cannot be made righteous by my own effort. I can be a so-called Christian. I can improve on some of the things in my life. But I cannot be converted by my power to be born from above means there must be an action that god takes on his part to make a person truly righteous he says but even if an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you let him be eternally condemned that is let him be put to death there are different levels of punishment for for sin for breaking the law you know that if you're stopped for speeding you can receive a ticket pay a fine maybe even have to make a court appearance you know that there are other ways you can break the law that will cause you to be put into prison. There are other ways that you can break the law that will cause a court to say you are guilty of murder and you will receive the death penalty. This sin of perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ is so serious that the Apostle Paul says you shall be put to death. Verse 9, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned let him be put to death now he says and i'm going to say the same thing to you he says am i now trying to win the approval of men or of god or am i trying to please men if i were still trying to please men i would not be a servant of christ I'm not trying to please you this morning. I'm not trying to please you. I'm not trying to to make you love me or hate me. I'm trying to speak the honest word of Scripture with all that that implies. He says, I want... I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to share with you today and this week is a message directly from Jesus Christ. It is not a message from John Calvin. It is not a message from Arminius. It's not a message from John MacArthur or Paul Washer. I'm going to share with you a message that comes directly from the heart of Jesus Christ as taught to us in the book of Galatians by the Apostle Paul. He says, you heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. He says, I, would, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. In other words, this is the straight goods. This is from Jesus. He went up to Jerusalem after three years to get acquainted with Peter. He stayed there for 15 days. He only saw James, the Lord's brother, who was the head of the church, And then 14 years later, he said, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. This is Galatians 2, verse 2. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I am going to set before you the gospel that Jesus Christ gave to Paul and that he preached and that founded the Christian church. Now, he says, James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars in the New Testament church, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. You understand, this is a time of great difficulty in the founding of the New Testament church. There was such contention Over do we keep the law. The Passover. The day of atonement. Do we make the sacrifices of blood. According to the law of Moses. Do we continue to keep that law. Or has Jesus settled it. And there was bitter contention in the New Testament church over what you must do to be saved. Paul is going to come and he's going to sort that out for us. But he's also going to sort out how a man is made holy. How a man is made holy. Now, I want to read from you two translations. I find it helpful often to look at different translations and then also go to the Greek and see what it says. In Galatians, the second chapter, I'm going to read for you verse 15. Um, we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And if we look at another translation, knowing that a man is not made righteous, By the works of the law, he is not made righteous except by means of faith from Jesus Christ. Now you're going to have to follow and study and think. Here's where a very key difference comes. And depending on how you interpret this, it can send you one direction or another. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners sinners, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, is not made righteous by observing the law. Okay, let's talk about this word. We're going to keep hitting it in the book of Galatians. And it's important that you understand the meaning and the meaning can be taken from the context of of how the word is used over and over. And we're going to keep finding this to be true. So please don't settle on your definition of this word justified until we have continued more deeply into the book of Galatians. I'm going to give you both definitions. And you decide. And how you make the decision will mean whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell. That's how serious this word is. A man is not justified or... A man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the word justified... is often meant in the New Testament church as made righteous. Made righteous. But, according to many in the American church, those who preach John Calvin... They preach that to be justified is a legal decision, a legal trans, uh, how do I say it? Um, A legal decision made by God so that there is no regenerative power in that being justified. Let's take the word forgiven. If you do something against me and I forgive you, who has changed? Have I changed? Or have I changed you? No, if you steal $500 from me and I say to you, I forgive you. I've changed. I'm out the 500. But I've forgiven you. I no longer hold that against you. Have you changed? No. You have not changed. So, in this word justified, they say it is a legal transaction where all of your past sins are forgiven, but there is no regenerative power in that justification. Regeneration means if I have my arm cut off and then by the power of God, that arm grows back, it's been regenerated. The belief of the modern church is That being justified simply means all of my past sins were forgiven. But that's not what the word means. In the old covenant, dikasune, the, the Greek word that's used here, meant that I was declared righteous when I offered that lamb as a sacrifice. My sins were not removed, they were just covered over. Because the blood of bulls and goats, according to Hebrews, the 10th chapter, cannot take away sin. Only the blood of Jesus can forgive sin. So, a man is not justified by observing the law. Yes, you can be forgiven by being covered over under the Old Covenant. But in the new covenant, Paul uses the word dikasune to mean I am made righteous. The word justified is a very old and ancient English word. And the word in its original meaning was to make righteous. Now today it is to forgive sin so that the record of sin is no longer there, but there's no regenerative power in it. Now, do you see the two directions you can go? You can say, I'm forgiven for my past sins. They no longer are recorded against me, but I'm still a sinner because there was no regenerative power to make me righteous. And then the lie emerged in the church in recent years that said God forgave me for all of my past, present, and future sin. Past, present, future. Because God loves me unconditionally. But he leaves me in my sin until I die. And so if you follow that line, your sins are forgiven. You're still a sinner. And so in the end, Jesus is not your savior. Death is your savior. Because that's where your sin is taken away. If you look at this first part My sin is just forgiven, but I am left as a sinner. That's the theology of the modern church. But I'm loved unconditionally. That is to to trample the blood of Jesus Christ, saying that the blood of Jesus Christ is not any more powerful than the blood of bulls and goats because it cannot remove my sin and make me righteous. I want to tell you, everything hangs on how you define this term. And we're going to take the definitions I've given now, and as we walk together through the book of Galatians, we're going to run into that word numerous times. And as we run into that word, we're going to look at the context and say, how would the context demand that we interpret and understand this word justification? Now he says, but by faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, a man is justified by faith in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, it's clear. It's not my faith. It's Jesus' faith. He's the one who makes me righteous. He's the one who washes away my sin, restores me to a man not of sin but of righteousness. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by ob- observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. So you see, it becomes very clear how you interpret this word, how you understand this word, will send you in two very different directions. Notice. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified, made righteous, or forgiven of our sins, but left in them. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be made righteous. So am I justified and left as a sinner? Or am I justified and it has regenerative power and transforms my life and makes me a new creature? So let's listen to the context now. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Does Christ promote sin? Does he allow you to continue to walk in sin and be justified at the same time? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, what did I destroy? The regenerative power of Jesus in justification destroyed all the sin in my heart and in my life. For through the law I died to the law, and so I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So now Paul is defining justification as being crucified with Christ, being made righteous. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Well, that's as far as we'll go today, but I'm going to pick it up right there tomorrow by God's grace. I want you to understand you have to make a determination about what you believe justification means. Does it mean that all of my past sins were forgiven, but I'm still a sinner? Or does it mean that I am made righteous in Christ by crucifixion and losing my life and being made alive with Christ Jesus. This is not just casual stuff. If you don't understand this and you make the wrong choice, Paul is saying you're going to a different gospel and you are condemned to die. And hell will be filled with many people who made the wrong decision. Who refused to be crucified with Christ. Who insisted on keeping their life as they loved it. They continued walking in wickedness. They continued sexual uncleanness. They continued lusting after the entertainment of the world. They were not transformed. Still strong-opinioned, bitter-hearted men and women. Opinionated. No humility. And they will be cast into hell because they followed a false gospel. That's not what I want for you. I am crying out to the Lord as I struggle to give birth to you in Christ Jesus as a new creature. Write to me, Pastor Ray Greenley, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. We broadcast live on the YouTube And we also broadcast live at 7.80 a.m. Weva, the a.m. side of the station. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I need your help. This month is nearly over, and we're not anywhere near the goal to be able to pay for radio. And I'm just praying that in the last two weeks of this month, we'll see a great increase in finances. I am totally in trust with Jesus. This is His broadcast. I'm preaching His word. If God moves in your heart, help cover the cost. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.